Good morning, everyone. <laughs> All right, I've got some announcements before we get into uh, and finish Proverbs. Uh, I believe we're in Proverbs 16. We're going to finish that up today. Um, it has to do with the children's program next week. Uh, I was going to go through all the slides, but we don't have time for all that. So uh, if your kids are singing tomorrow or next Sunday morning, they go in the back and get ready with their costumes, but no other kids go back, okay? You, they stay with their parents, and they come in here and sit down for the Christmas program after, for second service, okay? I know it's first service, but let, I'm just putting it out there online for you folks watching and for you guys that are in here, maybe. Um, and then... After the singing and all that, we have our break. It'll be an extra long break to let all the kids then check into Sunday school ministry uh, next Sunday. So that's kind of how it'll work. Um, kids that are in the program go back. The rest that aren't in the program decide not to. They come in here with their families, okay? Then the singing, and then we take our break break, and then they all get checked in um, in the back. So that's how that'll go. All right, let's pray, and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Um, and the communion that we're going to have, and the songs that we've sung, and the prayers that we're praying in our hearts, and even now, we pray that you would orchestrate and ordain and, and keep your hand upon everything that takes place this morning in this service, online, and in the next service, and in the Sunday school ministry, God. We just pray your blessing upon all of this, God. We ask uh, for your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, today we are going to finish up 16, but next week we'll take a break from Proverbs until January. Um, next week we're going to talk about prophecies uh, leading up to the Messiah, okay? And then, of course, the 24th, uh, Christmas Eve day, we're going to uh, cover the, the story. And then have that night we'll have our candlelight service, so that'll be at uh, 7 o'clock uh, next Sunday. All right, chapter 16. We left off in 22, verse 22. We're going to pick it up in 23. Verse 23 of chapter 16 of Proverbs. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Um, he isn't just saying add wisdom to your life. He's saying add wisdom to your lips. It's a difference, isn't there? We can know a lot of things. We can... We can be wise in a lot of areas, but sometimes our mouth either gets ahead of us, <laughs> I, I, I bear witness with that, and says things it shouldn't say, or says things in a way it shouldn't be said. There's wisdom in the way that we share our wisdom. <laughs> There's a way to talk about things to where it can be more receptive. Um, and it isn't our job necessarily to make sure it is received, but we want to make sure we do our best to say it in such a way that it's, we can, it can be received. Um, and you know what I'm talking about. You've heard people try to share things with you uh, in a way that's it's already abrasive. And you've already got your ire up. You weren't sure you wanted to hear it anyway. You know, and here it comes. Just like I knew they were going to say it to me. You know, And then you didn't hear a word they said. And that's hard. Now I, now I notice though in Scripture, and this is the... Is the opposite side of it. Jonah is not the greatest example of a prophet, but he is a prophet. And what I took, what I take from that story most of all is the receptiveness of the Ninevites. He did not want to go. He made sure everybody knows that he didn't want to go. 
he was swallowed by a great fish that God had to prepare for him. And it was after three days in that fish. He waited three days before he prayed for God to find and do what you want to do with me. He was willing to sit in there for 48 hours anyway, if not a little longer, and say, I'm not moving. I'm not, I don't care where you take me, you know. Finally, with the seaweed wrapped around his head, his skin bleached white, all the hair is gone from the stomach acid of the fish. He gets vomited up on Nineveh's shores. <laughs> And his message is so curt, it's so short, it's so, well, he said the absolute minimum that he needed to say, 40 days till judgment. And he was hoping for judgment, you know, kind of thing. You talk about a guy that probably shouldn't have been received. Here's the thing, he was. He was. So with this, I mean, I would have liked Jonah to say it in a better way, but he didn't. He didn't. And God's word was still effective in other people's lives. It still changed an entire city or region, anyway, for the Lord. They did repent, and he was furious about it. And God had a whole conversation with him about that, but that really isn't the story. It was still received. I think that's important for us. So just when you think you blew it and you said the wrong thing, or you said it too short, too rough, or too whatever, and you're second-guessing yourself... God, somewhere between my lips or your lips and their ears and in your ears, he can do a wonderful work by his Holy Spirit. If people, if people want to be convicted or are open to what God has for them, they can receive it. They can receive it. Now, all that aside, we're not talking about the receivers here. We are talking about us, and we need to be better at it. Be more careful about how we say things and do things. And always room to learn, always room to learn. And he calls us on that. Luke chapter 6, verse 45 tells us this is how you have the right lips or the right words. A good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Jonah hated Nineveh wanted them to go to hell, loved his country. You can send me to the nation of Israel, Jonah said, all day long, and I'll tell them everything you want me to tell them, and I'm rooting for them. But Nineveh, they're just firewood as far as he was concerned for hell. And because that was in his heart, that's how his message came across. And so we need to work on our hearts. That's where our role is in this. When wisdom says, look, if I want this to be received and I want to represent Christ correctly, my heart needs to be in the right place before I share, before I say what I need to say, and not out of the abundance of an evil heart. Verse 25, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And we hit a little bit about this last week. It came up in another verse, very similar to this in the weeks before. It's, it's a common theme throughout Scripture. People do what they think is right, and we talked about that. Of course they do. You wouldn't do it if you didn't think it was right. You, know? you do what you think you're supposed to do, and you think it's right. Well, when we find out what we're doing is contrary to Scripture, we need to reevaluate what we're doing. It's, I mean, obvious. I'm stating the obvious. That's what growing in Christ is. That's what maturing in Christ is. Oh, I didn't know, but now I do, and now I change, and now I evolve into what I'm, I'm being conformed into the image of Christ. It takes time, and it takes new information sometimes. Oh, didn't know that. 
The problem is when we run into the contradiction between our way and God's way, that we evaluate God's way instead of our way. We begin to look at his way and say, well, when was that written? And does that really apply? And all of a sudden, in the process of going through that, we sometimes get to the place where we're the exception to this rule. That our way, yeah, I know it says that, but, and we come up with the excuse for what we do. We're the exception to the rule. I recently put a a post out, and I think it's very applicable to this. In fact, it came from the study of this chapter. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace or order. Peacefulness, it's order. As in all the meetings of God's holy people, God wants order. Now, he's actually speaking of a situation in the Corinthian church where everybody was doing what they wanted to do. There was no, it was just chaotic. It was all spiritual, you know, speaking in tongues, no interpretation, prophecies whenever you want, interruptions all the time. It was chaotic. He says, you guys, no, even when we meet together, it needs to be orderly. If you've got a prophecy, fine, share it. Uh, But we all get to judge what you say and say whether it's of God or not. You don't just get to proclaim it and say, because you said, thus says the Lord at the end, we're all supposed to accept it. We get to judge that. And if you're going to do a tongues, look, fine, there needs to be an interpreter. And if there is no interpreter, then keep it to yourself. We don't want to do it. It's not supposed to be chaotic like this. But although that's what he's referring to, he's referring to everything. God is a God of order. From from Genesis to Revelation, we see dut, dut, dut. He's got an order for things. We're going to do the seven days of creation in this order, and they can't be out of order. What happens on day one has to happen on day one because day two is not possible without day one. Day three is not possible without day two, and so on as he goes through these things. It has to be, and we don't get to rest in the middle. We rest at the end because that's the picture we're trying. It's all in order, all of it. Family roles, there's an order to it. The world hates that order. The world fights that order. The world say those orders are old-fashioned. God says, no, any other order will fail. Any other order will fail. You can't do it out of sequence. And that's important. Government, he sets in order governments and the way they're supposed to operate. And I don't want to get into a big government thing, but we we have the best that's ever been. Because it leaves room for God. And we'll go into that another time, but this isn't the place for it. There's an order for that. Freedom is paramount. Liberty is paramount to Christ, not just to our country. To Christ, it's important. Church roles, there is an order to church roles. Scripture layout, there's an order. And the reason we start in Genesis and not Revelation, and the reason we don't hop around is because God, through his infinite wisdom, Put together the canon of scriptures. I know they're all separate documents, but he put them together. I believe he had his hand on it, obviously, and put them together in the order that they're meant to be written. He didn't just say, well, let's just stick all the poetry together and let's stick all the prophecy together. No, it all ties together, and it does do that. They do categorize it that way. But when you read Genesis to Revelation, it it works perfectly in its order. I like chronological Bibles as a supplement I understand. That's kind of nice to know what happened here, what happened there, and that's, that's great. But that isn't the order God prescribed it. It isn't. He put it this way, for a reason. I want you to start at Genesis, which is beginning. 
And I want you to end with Revelation, which is the end. And everything in between is right where it's supposed to be also. There's an order to it. Nature has an order. Everything has an order. You should see some of the scientific tolerances. It's so minute. You know, if you've ever worked in manufacturing and you get into some price, precise stuff, whether that's for you know, space travel or whatever, the tolerances are pretty tight. You know, I keep watching these ads. I want to get one of these where they have one of those stainless steel, aluminum, some kind of metal cube, and they drop it in there. And as this thing, this piece slides into place like a puzzle piece, the lines disappear. You can't tell where the where the thing was until you tip it back over and it begins to slide out. The tolerances are so tight you can't see really where the piece is. Well, our whole world, our whole creation has tolerances like that. You can't go one degree this way or one degree that way without destroying or having the whole thing fall apart. There's order to it. That being said, and here's what I wrote, these and other observable systems, because I couldn't name them all, are ordered by God and only function properly when adherence to Scripture is priority. That's the only way. To think that we can change these orders for our own benefit or for our own circumstances is, well, as one person wrote, prideful. It's a prideful thing. We can't do that. To modify God's design for whatever reason or feeling is certain failure. Now, why do I go off on all of that for this? There's a way that seems right to a man. Well, the way is death. He doesn't even have to be specific here. Verse 25 is in any circumstance and in every circumstance where your way, it does not line up with God's way. It does end in death. It does end in failure. You can't blend, mix, or reorder. We're not allowed to. We're not authorized to do that. But we do it. We play with it a little bit, and we shouldn't. Here's the solution. I hate to leave, you know, who wants to leave off there? I want to give you a solution. In 2 Kings chapter 4, when you find out that your life is in disorder, when you find out that things aren't the way they're supposed to be according to Scripture, there's a solution. It's not doomed for failure. That's why he's telling you now, or that's why he tells us when he tells us, so that we can change the order. We can put it in order, and Elisha does that. Verse 38 of 2 Kings chapter 4, And Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in the land, so everybody's starving to death. Now the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, and he said to his servant, Put on a large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. On a side note, I always think it's funny that the guy that didn't go to the school of the prophets ends up helping the school of the prophets, but that's a whole other story. They're just willing to sit there and starve to death. He goes, why doesn't someone get a pot of water? Okay, that's a good idea. I didn't even go to school for it, you know, kind of thing. So when one, out, one, so when one went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it a lap full, so he's got his thing out and he's filling his thing full, of wild gourds. Hmm, I found some food. Well, there's a reason those are still growing there, dude. And came and sliced them into the pot of stew, though they did not know what they were. <laughs> it sounds like, <laughs> you got to be careful when you forage, right? Then they served it to the men to eat. Now it happened, as they were eating the stew, that they cried out and said, Man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. Someone put poison gourds in this thing. Well, it's a mushroom, or it's a whatever. I thought it was fine. No, Bob, 
You can't eat these gourds. That's why we've never picked them before, and we're all starving to death, you know? Now look what he does. So he, the man of God, Elisha says, then bring some flour. And he put it into the pot and said, serve it to the people that they may eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. Now, flour didn't neutralize anything. There's no chemist that needs to look into this and say, well, what really happened was the flour absorbed that. No, no, no. It doesn't have to do with that. Later on, Elisha, they can't find their axe head that they lost. And he just says, well, make it float. And then it floats to the surface. So it's the same idea here. It's not something like, you know, that you can explain away. Get some flour and put it in there. Let's, let's finish eating this. Look, God's word, when generously applied to your life, makes the pot life again and edible and usable. Just bring the order in. You can bring God's order, God's word into your life at any stage, no matter how far gone it is, no matter how chaotic, and he will bring order to it. Just don't veer off the path. Stay on that path. It takes time to course correct. You've got a big ship. Your life is a big ship, and you're just starting to turn the wheel. Give it time for that nose to swing around and to start going right. We're still not going north, but it's moving in the right direction. Oh, it's taking us way out of the way. Well, what's your option? Circle back or just let it continue? I want to, I'm here to encourage you. Continue with God's plan in your life. Continue on this course correction that God is doing, and it will right itself. He promises us that this is the fix. This is the solution. God will bring order to your life. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 through 5, I bring this up only because I think it's important that anybody in leadership in the church needs to have these things set in their life. He says, Timothy, when you're looking for leaders, when you're looking for elders, you need to find one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence for, and here's why we ask for this, Timothy. This is why you're looking for this. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? If you can't take care of the first two or three sheep he gave you, and they're scattered and running everywhere, and you're pulling your, I don't know where Bob, you know, and Susie, she's over here and all that. What happened? Why would you get 300 or 400 or 1,000 more sheep to take care of if you can't take care of three? Order. You can't skip it. You can't find a way around it. You can't find a shortcut to it. God wants to bring order to our lives. God's word and adherence to it brings order to our lives. Verse 26. The person who labors, labors for himself, for his hungry mouth drives him on. I don't have much to say on this, except that some lessons only come from hardship, and I'm not quick to ease burdens of people. I love to ease the burdens of my adult children that are grown and out of the house. It's a weakness. It's a weakness because they go through hardships for a reason, just like Jenny and I went through hardships You've got to go through those things to learn how to go through hardship. Oh, oh, they've got so much anxiety. They need to learn how to deal with anxiety because there's more coming. You think you're anxious now. Wait till you have adult children. You know? You've got to learn how to deal with that anxiety. I, oh, they're so frustrated. Yep. I can take the frustration away 
or I can help them learn how to deal with frustration because this isn't the last time you're going to be frustrated and I'm not always going to be there. So in this section, when he says that labor is labor for himself because he's hungry, his hungry mouth drives him to work so he can get some money to buy some food, you got to let him be hungry sometimes. And that's okay. He's just trying to give his son wisdom. Look, not everything needs to have a solution. The solution can be, at times, them working through it and letting that hardship, trial, or tribulation work in their lives. That's how maturity comes. Verse 27, an ungodly man digs up evil, and it is on his lips like a burning fire. A perverse man sows strife, and a whisper separates the best of friends. A violent man entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. He winks his eye to devise perverse things. He pursues or purses his lips and brings about um, evil. Um, our mouths get us in trouble, is what he's saying there. And you want to identify an ungodly man, his lips are on fire and they bring up evil all the time. That's what he's doing. That's what they do. He's a perverse man. He's an ungodly man. A perverse man sows strife, I'm concerned about people that enjoy sowing strife and aren't trying to bring peace or people together. It's not a good thing. Now, I say that because... And Jesus was very good at, some, some could use that scripture against Christ himself if they wanted to. I mean, why, why you always got to call out the religious leaders all the time? I mean, why can't you let the Pharisees just be who they are, you know? Let, let bygones be bygones, or let, let their truth be their truth. Because their truth is hurting. It's doing damage. I'm here to write things. I'm here to bring order to things, Jesus says. So don't misunderstand this as, into thinking that we're not supposed to uh, be controversial or, 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 or wage uh, spiritual warfare. We're supposed to, okay? Um, don't misunderstand this. It's, it's strife for strife's sake. It's dividing so that you can gain from it, you know? Um, and that's what he's talking about here. Um, you know those kind of people. Maybe you've even been the whisperer at times. But um, when your intent for the whisperer, for the sharing of information, is to divide somebody, um, that's not a good thing. When they begin to spread rumors or they begin to uh, share things they shouldn't share, that's a perverse person. A violent man entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good, you know, um, winks his eye. In James chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. Even so, the tongue is a little member that boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. That's important. You know. I didn't mean for that to happen. Fine, but just know that your tongue at that point was set on fire by the devil for this purpose, and he accomplished his task through you. That should be concerning to us. That should be concerning. When there's things happening and divisions are taking place, and uh, they're not spiritual divisions. It's not good and evil. It's, it's, it's I don't want to hear it or, or whatever, you know. Um, and so to get it to stop, you start lighting fires all over the place and try to destroy. Um, that's a dangerous thing and describes that person. Dad to his son, little kid, don't do that. 
very careful about your mouth. Be very careful about your tongue. It can do a lot of damage. Verse 31. The, silver hair, the silver-haired head is a crown of glory if it is found in the way of righteousness. That's a big if, isn't it? So the point of that proverb is not to talk about old people being wise. It's about talking about it doesn't matter whether you're old or not. The old people that are walking with the Lord, they're wise. Old people that are not walking with the Lord are not. Okay, so the point is this. I'm glad they're older than you, and you should honor your father and mother, and you should you know, stand when the elder comes into the room. But remember, the wisdom that comes out of their mouth needs to line up with righteousness, or they're not. Um, older is wiser if it's found in righteousness. Um, in First Kings, interesting story. It's a longer story than what we're about to read, but I'm going to give you just a, a, a short version a young prophet's been told by God to go say something to a group of people. doesn't matter who they are. You can read the whole chapter if you want to know the whole story. And then I want you to return back. And I don't want you to go the way you came. And I don't want you to stop for any reason. I want you to do exactly what I told you to do. Now, this prophet, this young prophet, is hearing from God. He's doing exactly what God wants him to do when along comes an older, gray-haired man. And that's where we pick up our story. So the young prophet says to this old man who says, why don't you stop in and come eat with me? The young man answers him and says, for I have been told by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by going the way you came. So the young prophet tells the old prophet who has declared himself to be a man of God also, that God told me to do this. Now, if the older man truly was a prophet of God, what would he say to the young man? Absolutely. You need to do exactly what God told you to do. I was just offering a meal. I had no idea he told that to you. Absolutely, you go do your thing. Forgive me for even trying to get in the way. An older man of God would have said that. Here's what he says. I too am a prophet, as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. Parenthetical statement, he was lying to him. So the young man went back with him and ate bread at his house and drank water. The rest of the story is when he leaves the house, he gets mauled and eaten and killed by a, a lion. Now, a pretty harsh story for a proverb here. I mean, but was God serious about what he told that young man and what he told him to do? Look, not everybody's advice is biblical. Is it fair? Is it wrong to go eat with somebody in their house? Was it sin? Only because God told him not to do it. Any other day of the week, any other time, you can absolutely go eat with this old man. But at this point in time, that's not what I told you to do. There's a reason I'm telling you to get in and get out and do it the way I told you to do it. You can't do that. And the old man thinking this young man's just too zealous, just too whatever, lies to him to get his way. Be careful about that. Sometimes people come and ask me for advice. <laughs> Imagine. It happens a lot. And it happens to you too, doesn't it? What do you think? If we're men and women of God, who have any kind of wisdom at all, we know one thing's for sure. God wants to talk to that person and not through you. Now, they, you may have a word for them, but that word better be 
here's what I think, but you need to pray about this and see what God wants you to do because this isn't always the right path. This, isn't all, this is what I did, but it doesn't mean that's what God wants you to do in this situation. I think of all the missionaries that went out all over the world over the course of Christianity and all the different ways God used every one of them. I mean, you can go from Jonah, you know, it still worked. And God did his thing the way he did his thing with him to Elisha, to Elijah, to any missionary out there that ever witnessed to anybody in the different ways that they did it. And to, to think that there's a formula for that and a way to do it. I think is foolishness. Likewise, so with anybody coming to me and saying for advice, I don't think it's wrong that you take the job or that you don't take the job. I think you've got a choice in the matter. But that being said, I bet God has one of those two paths for you and you need to find out what he has to say to you about it. God doesn't want you listening to me all the time or to them all the time or the... He wants to talk to you personally about these things. So if you're confused, he's not the author of confusion. I know, I know that. And if you're not sure, he tells us what to do in his word, what you're supposed to do. You need to pray. You need to seek the Lord diligently and let him find out. It's a dangerous thing when we just allow someone who's older in the Lord tell us you know, what to do. Or change what we know God told us to do. That's even a bigger danger. You know? Especially if you know the path that you're supposed to go on. You know what you're supposed to say. You prayed about it. You said, oh, Holy Spirit, change this Bible study any way you want. You've prayed over it. And you've studied it. And you've studied it. You know, to be honest with you, every, every Sunday, for as long as I've ever done this, you usually get three to four, hey, that was great. God really spoke to me. And then you get one or two, usually one, that was, and they've got an email for you, you know, kind of thing. And you got to make a decision, you know. Is it constructive criticism? Fine. Or did they just not like what they heard? And they're mad and they're upset about these things. And you have to be careful about these things. You have to be humble. You got to pray it through and say, God, sorry, did my flesh get in the way? Did they hear me wrong? Or did I say it wrong? Um, was there a better way to say it, you know? Um, was it truly a golden apple set in silver, or was it, you know, was it, was it a dung pie kind of thing this morning? You know, you've got to be careful about that. But you can't adjust what the Holy Spirit told you to say and do because someone didn't like it. That's important. You can't adjust and not do what God calls you to do as a man, woman, or child in this room I mean, if it goes against God's word, safe bet. It wasn't the Lord, obviously. But you need to stay true to what God called you to do and what he's told you to do. Very important. Verse 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Don't worry about conquering cities, son. Don't worry about expanding the kingdom. You know, You've been given a huge responsibility or will be given a huge responsibility when you come of age and take over. Here's the thing. Be slow to anger. Don't be red hot tempered. Don't go from zero to red hot. And if you do, it's wrong. Slow down and figure out why you go from red hot. So go to red hot so fast. Rule your spirit. Don't let your spirit rule over you. You rule. You're in charge. 
You're in charge of your emotions. You're in charge of your life. Um, and you're in charge of whether you hear from God or not, or whether you read the Bible or not, or whether you pray or not, or whether you go to church or not. You're in charge of those things. That's yours. And he wants us to rule well over our own lives. Finally, verse 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Now they're talking about casting lots and things like that. You know, it's like draw straws or roll the dice or whatever it is that you think was a chance circumstance. He says, no, not really. Every decision was from God. You trusted in rolling the dice like that and, and all, and no, he just made them turn sixes, you know. Um, and that's why everybody in my family gets Yahtzee but me. Um, they just have favor from the Lord, I guess. That's a terrible example. That's not what he's talking about, obviously. He's saying, you may think it was random, or you may think that it doesn't matter either way, but God, God said, no, I want it this way. I want it this way. Um, I think it's important to give God room in our lives. To do things outside of what he thought we were going to do, or what I thought he was going to do. Give God room for those things. Let him rule. Let him make those decisions and changes in our lives. Um, you may think it was random, but it wasn't. You know, How come I lost my job now? I don't know. That's a really good prayer. Why did you lose your job right now? Was it a violent act against you, or was it something else? Um, why is this happening to me now? I don't know. It's a good question. Why is this happening to you now? Don't be so quick to dismiss it as, as evil against you. It may be God's hand. Why was Paul and Silas thrown into prison? I mean, it was in the, we, were, we were really doing some work out there. People and these stupid leaders of the town, they threw us in the middle of this jail. Had you planned a prison ministry for that town? Well, no, we went to the town square like we always do. We went to the synagogue like we always do. Yeah, but he had some folks inside that prison he didn't minister to, and you weren't even planning on going there, you know? Oh. And so they sang psalms and hymns inside that prison. And even when God shook the whole place and all the doors opened, they stayed because they knew this is God's will for them. This is where God wants me. In prison? In the depths and the darkness of prison, even though you're innocent? Yeah. We don't care. And he got those, all those prisoners were saved and the jailer came in and he was going to kill himself because he thought he lost all the prisoners because it was dark in there. He says, no, we're all still here. And he gets on his knees and receives the Lord. And then he takes these guys back home to his house and he shares the gospel with them. And that whole family gets saved. I mean, it's a whole aspect of ministry that was never planned, but orchestrated by God. A lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. I, if we, I, have placed my life in God's hands, I have to let him do whatever he wants to do. And I know that sounds like, that's well, that's what you said. You said you gave him his life. You gave him your life. I did, but sometimes when we pray that, we mean, I give you my life to bless it and make it perfect. But never let me have any trials or tribulations and to order it perfectly because I've given you my life, right? That's how it works. No, we need to look at the seasoned saints, the old saints of the scriptures. When they gave God their lives, what did it look like? It certainly wasn't easy, that's for sure. So we're going to have communion now. If the guys are willing and able and ready, this is a great time to do this.
Thanks. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, and this is how we always start this, but we're going to do a little different today. We're still going to eat and drink it the way we always do, but the story's a little different. Um, This is before the Garden of Gethsemane. This is before the prayer where Jesus prayed so hard that he he prayed drops of blood. he, he, um, He began to stress out so much about the next day in prayer to God that he began to bleed drops of blood out of his sweat pores. It was mixing. Capillaries were breaking. It was intense. The night before, right before that garden, he takes the the meal that they're eating and he explains it to them. Previously, he had all talked about, you guys got to eat my flesh, you got to drink my blood. And later on, those that stuck around, the 12 sitting at that table, got it explained to them. Wasn't talking about literally eating my flesh or literally drinking my blood at all. The things that I'm speaking to you are spirit, he says. They're about spiritual things. He says, take and eat. As often as you eat this bread that we're eating here, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body that's going to be broken for you, that's broken for you. As often as you eat it, remember that. Remember that my body was broken for you, that it was a choice, that it was a decision, that I know it's going to happen, you know it's going to happen, it's going to happen, and it's for your benefit that it's going to happen. We need to know that this morning. He also, at that same meal, took the cup that they were drinking, he He blessed it and said, this is the cup of my new covenant. Remember I said we were going to have a new covenant someday? There was an old covenant. We've been learning this on Wednesday nights, but there's a new covenant now. This is the new covenant of my blood. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. The new covenant is I'm going to shed my blood instead of you having to shed your blood for your sins. Mine's going to be shed. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, it was in that garden that Jesus begins to pray, and the prayer that he prays to the Father is, he knows what's coming the next day. He knows that Judas has gone to get the guys, and they're just gathering now with torches and everything, and they're heading up the hill, and he's in this prayer time. His guys are all asleep, even though he asked them to stay awake with him, and to support him is what he's asking. Would you stay and pray with me? Would you stay awake and pray? Yeah, sure, yeah, you bet. You know, he couldn't stay awake. And as he's praying to his father, he says, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He literally gave his life and put it in his father's hands at that point. I would like to save everybody another way. <laughs> if there's any other way, let this cup, this cup of your wrath, the cup that I just told these guys, the cup of my blood, if there's another way for them to get, the answer, there isn't another way. Jesus gave his life to the Father at that point and says, whatever comes, comes. I want to do your will above my will. That's what it means when I say I want to give my life to God. Not to fix and make perfect and take away trials and tribulations because that's not our example that we have. The example we have is I'm going to place it in your hands and you're going to spend my life the best way it could be spent, you see. Now, I think it should be spent in Hawaii, you know, on a, on a beach with very little clothing, you know, sun baking down on me, you know, pampered. That's how I, no, that's not the best way for me to spend your life, God says. And if you want to give me your life, I want to spend it a certain way. I want to use it a certain way. Paul did this. 
Peter did this. James, John, all of them, Luke. Even Jonah, finally, you know. And this morning, I hope we all do the same thing. And we mean it the same way now. God, you gave, Jesus, you gave. I'm remembering this morning that you gave your life for me. You let God do whatever it took or spend your life the way he wanted to spend your life so that I could be saved. I want to now give my life to you. And you can spend it however you want to spend it, the way you want to spend it. If it's to save other people, that's great. If it's Hawaii, that's great. But I'm going to let you choose what that is. you know. And I'm going to be okay with it is the key. Not, oh, I really thought you were going to choose door two. I really didn't think I was going to have that. No. I really mean it from my heart this morning, God, that you can have my life and spend it the way you want to spend it. And I won't kick, and I won't fight, and I won't bite. I'm going to do. I'm going to submit to your will in my life. Not my will, but your will be done. Lord, we thank you for this bread and this cup. It reminds us of the sacrifice you made. You willingly laid your life down for us. You willingly gave your life into your father's hands to do whatever he needed to do to spend it the way he wanted to spend it. And we remember that and we honor you for that. We thank you for that. Thank you for letting him do what needed to be done for us to be saved. And this morning we remember your life and the sacrifice. Now we want to also though respond. Since you died for us, since you gave your life for us, we want to in turn turn our lives over to you, to give you our lives, to let you spend our lives the way you want to spend our lives. And we'll willingly go, whether that's in the center of a prison, praise the Lord. Thank you for this opportunity, God. And may I represent you well there or any place else you want to put us, God. We want to be submitted to that today. I don't want to be a Christian in name only. I truly want to be a little Christ, a small Jesus on this earth, a good representative of yours, a light in a dark world, salt in a world that needs salt. We want to be those people, God. So Lord, this morning, use us how you'll use us. Not our will, but your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's eat. Lord, we thank you for this morning and the time we've had in your word. We thank you for these proverbs, this wisdom. Lord, as we get prepared for Christmas, the celebration of it, and the the weeks leading up to it, Lord, we're excited to proclaim your birth, to celebrate your birth, to tell the world, to enjoy the time with family and friends and the peace that's in our hearts and the joy that isn't always there, but the season, this time, tends to bring it out, this feast, this uh, time we set aside to celebrate you. It just brings out the best for the most part, God. So Lord, help us to be prepared for next week's prophecies and the following week's uh, candlelight service and honoring you for all you've done in your birth and how exciting it was to the world at the time and how exciting it is to us, Lord. Prepare our hearts. Help us to stay in this place, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.